This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. We know this passage from Romans 1 very well, and it is timeless for the Christian. Regardless of where we live or the century into which we're born, the gospel of Jesus Christ remains the only hope for sinners, and that's why we should never be ashamed of it. But how much are we really sharing the gospel. One recent Barna study showed that almost half of practicing Christian millennials in the U.S. actually believe evangelism is wrong. And that is why I am really grateful for our next guest, Global Conference speaker, evangelist, and author Becky Pippert. She is founder of Becky Pippert Ministries and author of the highly acclaimed and great book, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. And 40 years after that great book came out, she is out with its sequel. It is called Stay Salt. The world has changed. Our message must not. And Becky, it's just wonderful to have you with us. How are you? Oh, I am great. Janet, it's just such an honor to be meet you and to be able to talk to you. I'm just thrilled. Oh, man, no, the honor is mine. I'm just, I was so <laughs> excited that I was going to get to interview you because I have really admired you for a long time and oh, heard you speak. You. So, And I am one of those many, many Christians who loved Out of the Salt Shaker. I remember this line from that book, and it's the, probably the most famous line from the book, if I'm remembering correctly, but Christians <laughs> and non-Christians have something in common. We're all uptight about evangelism. <laughs> and that's the first line of the book. Yep. Good memory. Yes, yes. I remember that. Would you say that's equally true today or more more so today? How would you evaluate that line now? Oh, I, I think it is. It, no, I would say it's, it's, it's more true today because our, our one of the reasons why I wrote my new book, Stay Salt, is because um, the world has changed. It has gotten much more challenging. Uh, in our in our culture, and I think Christians are more afraid than ever. Yeah. And so I wanted to do actually not a sequel, but to say, how do we communicate the gospel for such a time as this? Never dreaming when I did it, but when you think about it, you know, um, stay salt. The world has changed. Our message must not that that would come right at the same time that COVID-19 came. Oh, you know? yeah. I mean, oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. I, I just couldn't believe it. So I think, I do think it. Uh, the world has changed. And I think it's changed in, since I wrote Out of the Salt Shaker, and that was 40 years ago. Wow. But when you think about it, Janet, what have we witnessed? All of us who live in the West have been living in a culture that's dominated by the lethal distortions of post-modernity <laughs> in a way that wasn't true when I wrote Salt Shaker, the collapse of absolute truth, right. the shift 
from objective authority to personal preference. The designer religion approach that picks cafeteria style, whatever people want to believe, and it doesn't, you know, a little karma here, a little that there, (laughs) and it doesn't matter if their beliefs collide and are contradictory, because there isn't truth anyway. The sexual revolution, uh, our intimidation, because the media and cultural elites are so hostile to true Christianity, that's a lot of change. It is. In in a short, well, not so short, but but historically speaking, it's still sort a short period of time. And I had a Christian say to me not too long ago, "Well, why should I even?" It was a millennial. Why should I even try to share my faith in these hard times? And I said, "Well, one good reason is because Jesus commands us to." <laughs> right. But I said, the command, go ye therefore and make disciples, Jesus didn't say, go ye therefore, all you extroverts, (laughs) all you scripture memory buffs, (laughs) okay, and all you evangelists and clergy, go and make disciples. Jesus did not say one thing about our gifting, um, what our temperament was. We are all called to be witnesses. But, Janet, I also think we have to realize that what we have to share is good news. It's the most wonderful news that has ever come to our planet, and secularism cannot, it does not have the answers, and it does not address our deepest human longings. I don't care how secularized. The West has become God has placed a longing for identity and meaning and purpose in all human hearts. And even though unbelievers might not be able to quite articulate what it is they feel is missing, oh, Janet, the longings are there. And that is why people are hungrier than we realize, and we must share the good news. Yes. Oh, man. Amen to everything that you've said. And it's interesting that you mentioned the timing of the release of your new book, Stay Salt, because we are in the midst of unprecedented weirdness, as we like to call it in our house. Yeah. We can't yeah. we can't leave the house. And uh, when is this going to end? And everybody's losing their jobs and we could all catch this virus that could kill us. And it's interesting because you see these statistics. I saw a research study just last week that showed 44 percent of Americans, not just Christians, but Americans in general, believe this pandemic is a wake-up call from God, and I thought yeah. this could be a great moment to really rev up evangelism. Oh, it is exactly right. I could not agree with you more. Do you know, the gift of catastrophic times, and boy, this is catastrophic. I mean, it, it, it has everybody's attention. But the gift of it is it's almost as if the fog is lifted, hmm. and we're able to see reality in a way that we couldn't before. And I think one of, again, I I do believe, even though it's very challenging, it is a gift because uh, what are people realizing? And I've done so many, I've been asked to do a lot of these Zoom conferences around the world because we've ministered around the world. And they're all saying that their non-Christian friends are frightened, they're asking questions, um, they're wondering, um, you know, I, I guess what, I'm not in charge. And I have to tell you this, I got a phone call from an agnostic friend of mine, 
And I have never seen the slightest openness. And I've you know, witnessed many times and loved her and walked alongside and done what Jesus tells us to do and how he demonstrates asking questions and expressing compassion, but also sharing the truth and love. And she said to me, she said, Becky, I've always told you I'm in charge of my destiny. We are the only gods that exist. It's up to us to solve life's problems, not use a crutch. But she said, Becky, if the coronavirus proves anything, it's that we're not in control. (laughs) Uh, I am not self-sufficient. And then she said, this is so fascinating. For the first time, I'm seeing in my heart of hearts that I not only am I not in control, but you know what? I never believed it anyway. (laughs) Because if I'm God, what kind of God needs to take pills for their anxiety? (laughs) (laughs) She said, all I can tell you is if I'm God, I make a lousy God. Now, first of all, that's straight out of Romans 1, that we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. But I said, oh, you make a lousy God. I'm a lousy God. We're all lousy gods. I said, you know, I remember as an agnostic, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, when I finally realized that trying to be God was way above my pay grade. And it's what led me to see my desperate need for the true God. So there are opportunities out there. We just need to be strengthened in in our confidence and competence that we can share the good news for such a time as this. That is so neat. And that what a great insight for somebody to actually see being my own God isn't working out very well, because why would I be relying on pharmaceutical help if I were actually in charge of all that, this? I mean, it's just brilliant. It, it is. really is. And again, that's where you see the gift of something this catastrophic. Yeah, that's you right. Know, I'm not in charge. I am the myth of self-sufficiency, exactly. etc. Exactly. Well, we're going to pause for a quick break. Becky Pippert with us. Her book is called Stay Salt. The world has changed. Our message must not. And we'll be right back on Janet Meffer today. This is Janet Mafford. We're partnering with Bible League International to send God's word to 1,500 Bibleist believers in Africa, in many parts of countries like Kenya, Tanzania, Ghana, and Mozambique. As many as nine out of 10 Christians are denied God's word because of corrupt governments, majority religions, remoteness, and poverty. They've never been able to read 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. Reading that promise of God means everything to you and me, and now it will means so much to these Bibleist Christians in Africa when you respond. Here's Pastor John in Mozambique. One occasion, I found a pastor that was leading a church of 90 church members. And he was having one Bible that was starting from Exodus and ends to the Ephesians. And he was leading the church with that Bible. So when we went to give them the Bible, imagine joy. They sang, they danced, they cried, and they praised God for the gift 
of the Bible. $5 sends one Bible, $100 sends 20, $500 sends 100, and your gift of any size will help us meet our goal of sending 1,500 Bibles to Africa. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YESWORD, or there's an Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Actually, the, the need is great. If you could remember the other picture of a lady who was trying to show me the Bible, that pastor, I understand you work with Bible, but we don't have Bibles here. So that, that, that lady had a Bible from Exodus to the book of Hebrews. That's all. You see that? So there is a great need of Bibles. Send God's word to a Bibleist believer in Africa today for only $5. Call 800-YESWORD. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Well, it is wonderful to be with you and wonderful to have with us Becky Pippert. Boy, she is really one of my favorites. She's done such great work. Her new book is called Stay Salt. The world has changed. Our message must not. And this is the heart of it, Becky. You were talking about the advantages that we have right now, this moment in history, when everything is so uncertain and people are scared and people are losing their jobs and the opportunities that this can open, that the Lord can open for us to share the gospel. The problem is you have Christians who are are either not confident in sharing the gospel, or like I mentioned before from that Barna study, you have Christians who actually think it's too judgmental. We really yeah, shouldn't, yeah, do, yeah. shouldn't, shouldn't yeah, try yeah. to convince people that their way is wrong and our way is right. What, what would you do with that sort of mentality where people are saying that? You know, one of the interesting things is that um, I, because I've done evangelism training literally around the world, and I don't know if you know this, Janet, but we've, we just spent the last seven years in the most secular place in the world. It, we ministered, my husband and I do this together, and we were in the U.K. and lived in the U.K., but ministered throughout Europe. Yes. And it, but, so what, whether millennials, in, in, no matter what the age... Here is the thing that is fascinating to me. The stumbling blocks that Christians have concerning evangelism are the same. Hmm. It isn't so dramatically different with millennials. And, 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 and by the way, one of the things I do show my millennial Christian friends is let's just take a look at how Jesus did it. Okay. If you saw how Jesus shared his faith, it, it'll melt your heart. You won't worry so much about uh, being uh, uh, judgmental or critical. Jesus spoke the truth, but he spoke it in love, etc. But let me just tell you, there's three things I always see as the biggest stumbling blocks. The first thing I hear, number one, I'm inadequate. And um, I just, I, I, I can't tell you how many times people have said, Becky, I really want to share my faith, but I just can't. I'm so inadequate. <laughs> and my response is, well, of course you're inadequate. We're all inadequate. Yeah. Isn't that freeing to know? Yes. Because the key is not our adequacy. It's that God is the great evangelist, and he uses us in our weakness. Yeah. Think about what Jesus said to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Once we really have that, that you don't have to be able to answer every single question, you, you don't, you know, we want to demonstrate the love of Jesus and communicate the truth of Jesus, but... We need to learn how to lean on the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes. And that's why the first section of Stay Salt, 
my new book on evangelism, is the means. What has God given us so we don't have to freak out so much? (laughs) The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Word. Second thing I always hear is, well, I just don't know enough. Uh, I just, and this is partly where the millennial fear comes, I think, um, because we're so gospel-lite, L-I-T-E. But they'll say, I just don't know enough. I don't really know the beliefs of the gospel enough, and um, I, I don't know how to defend it if they come back. I don't know what to do, blah, blah. Second section of the book addresses exactly that. The first is the means, the second is the message. And it is, um, what is the message? What kind of pushback are we going to get from skeptics? How do we respond to that? And then something, Janet, I think we miss. If we're paying attention to people like Jesus did, and we love them, and we're listening, and we begin to understand their longings, Help them see how their longings are met so beautifully in the gospel. Mm -hmm. So it's the means, the message. And then the third section of the book is on the model. And it's looking at Jesus, looking at the apostolic church, the early church. It's also looking at, you know, how Jesus did it. But it's also looking at all of our fears. How do we reach the spiritually closed? Here's a fear I hear all the time, all over the world, and that is, Um, what if I offend them? (laughs) And I go, well, one of the things you can do is if you're really afraid you're going to offend and and turn them off completely is saying, I am so excited about a Christian, about being a Christian. I don't like Bible bashers who push something down someone's throat. So if I'm coming on in a way that offends you, would you let me know? Mm, Now, what that does is that what non-Christians see is, oh, You're normal. (laughs) I didn't think you were normal. And then it gives us the opportunity, because we've built that bridge that we can say and share what the good news is. We just need to be careful um, that... that we're not buying the culture's message. Uh, It's so often, we're just so... we're, we're, We're terrified. And and I'd say the greatest way of dealing with our fear is fearing the right thing. And that's what Paul said. Yes. Paul said, what is it that we fear? He says, fearing God, we persuade men. That doesn't give us a license to be obnoxious or to not listen. But what is it we fear the most? And we fear the Lord. We honor Him. We want to serve Him. Right. I think there are three things that I have learned over all these years of doing evangelism ministry. The first is this. Evangelism is so much easier than I ever dreamed. Hmm. Particularly if you are following Jesus' way, Jesus' example, the way he dealt with people, if we're leaning on the Holy Spirit. But people are more open than we really realize, particularly if we're approaching people in the right way. But evangelism is easier than I ever dreamed. Secondly, evangelism is harder than I ever imagined. Hmm. Why? Because we have an enemy. And the enemy will harass us and intimidate us and try to scare us to death. Yes. So we need to recognize it, not be surprised when it happens, difficulties arise. But remember, Jesus defeated Satan at the cross. Amen. There is no power that is greater than the Lord Jesus. None. 
God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We we worship the triune God, and He's with us. He gives us His presence. The third thing, evangelism is easier than I imagined, easier than I dreamed. It's harder than I imagined. And the third thing is, and I know I'm circling back here, but God really does use us in our weakness. Mm -hmm. We need to celebrate our smallness and depend upon the power of the Spirit, of the Word, of the Gospel. And so we need to ask God, give me vibrant faith. Fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit. Let me fall in love with Jesus all over again. And then get engaged. Pray and ask God right now, because we're in this remarkable time. Take prayer walks. Pray for your neighborhood. And then call your non-Christian friends and say, how are you doing? Uh, Tell me. Listen to what they're going through. Oh, my friends, just use this time. It's an opportunity like we just have never had before. Right. Oh, man, such good words, Becky. And I, you know, when you were talking about that, I, I was thinking about the the story that you tell in your book where as a young Christian, uh, you were teaching the Bible and you didn't even know what Acts was until, so, <laughs> until somebody sent you to it. It just cracked me up because they said God can use anybody at any stage. Oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because what happened, this is why when people say, on the one hand, they go, all right, the times are different. And I really think they are. But on the other hand, I had been a Christian four months when I went to college, my, my first year, my freshman year. And um, I, I decided that I felt convicted that I should share my faith. And so I started reading the Gospels, how did Jesus do it? And I thought, I, can, I, I really ask God, let me witness the way Jesus did. And I reached out to my friends. We did things together. We really, they really were friends. And one by one, on that floor, my dorm floor, uh, the, it was a women's dorm, they all asked me, okay, we're fascinated by what you believe, because if they knew I really cared for them, and that's so fundamental. <laughs> but they knew I, I, of course, I'd been praying, but they knew I cared for them. And then they said, why don't we do a Bible study? And I went, oh, oh, I couldn't possibly. I've only been a Christian four months. I don't know enough. <laughs> they asked me three times, and it was only the third time I finally agreed terrified. And then this is in the first chapter, but uh, we led this study. And I mean, it was, I was such a pathetic Bible study leader because I didn't, I don't think I'd ever been in a Bible study. I would been radically converted. But, but anyway, so we do, we do this Bible study. And then on the, on the PA in the dorm, we heard, uh, will Becky Manley please come to the office of the resident advisor immediately? Well, the whole dorm heard it. And she told me I couldn't lead a Bible study. She said it was against the policy and that I would be kicked out of the university. And I turned to the Lord as she was saying this, and I said, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Oh, God, help me. And I felt this unbelievable peace. And then the words that came out of my mouth, I knew were not mine. And I said, I respect you. I respect this university. I don't want to be kicked out, but I cannot but speak about what I know to be true. (laughs) 
And then, and she went, well, I'm really sorry that you're saying this because this is against policy and you're, you're going to be asked to leave. I go back to my room. I fell on my bed. I started sobbing because I really thought I was going to be kicked out. And this is when my girlfriend, Christian girlfriend, came in and said, you come home with me. My dad's an elder of the church. Told him the whole story. And he said, Becky, I don't think they have the power to kick you out. I think this is her unique problem, which, in fact, I think was exactly right. But I want you to read the book of Acts. Then I read it. And when I came to when Peter and John were before the Sanhedrin, and they were told they couldn't preach the gospel. And in essence, they said, how can I not speak about what I know to be true? And that's a thrilling thing. This has been going on forever. Mm. Oh, it has. It has. Well, you got to read the book. It's called Stay Salt. Becky Pippert, what an honor to have you here. Thank you. Janet. Thank you with all my heart. It's been a joy. Oh, thanks again for being with us, Becky. God bless you. This Janet Meffer Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. You're listening to Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Psalm 34:18 says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Knowing the Lord is near to you is such a comfort when anyone you love has died and one of the most intense forms of grief is the kind that's experienced by moms who have lost a child. That was the experience of my next guest Kim Erickson. She is an attorney and has a writing and teaching ministry at her website kimaerickson.com. She's also written a book that she hopes will serve as a survival guide for other mothers who have lost a child. The book is called Surviving Sorrow, A Mother's Guide to Living with Loss. Kim, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I know this is an incredibly difficult subject to tackle, and yet there are a lot of moms who have gone through similar experiences to yours. You lost your little son, Austin, when he was just three years old. I can't even imagine what that must have been like for you, but can you tell us how Austin got sick and what happened from there, what that experience was like? Sure. Um, well, it, it was very normal. That's the uh, kind of the, the tragedy of it, I guess, is, you know, he started running a fever, and we took him to the doctor. He was diagnosed with strep throat. He got his antibiotics, and, um, you know, he just didn't seem to get better. And so, um, you know, he got his antibiotics on Tuesday, and I took him back to the doctor Wednesday. We took him back to the doctor Thursday. Um, and then on Friday morning, I got that call, you know, that no mother wants to get, uh, that the ambulance is at my house and, um, working on Austin and we did lose him that day. And so he died from complications with strep throat, <laughs> if you can believe that. Wow. And, um, you know, amid this cr- crisis with the coronavirus, I don't, you know, I don't want to add to anybody's, um, panic or fear, but, you know, when your child dies from something as simple as, as strep throat, um, you know, it can, it can, it can rock uh, your world in a lot of different ways as well as just the loss of losing a child. Yeah, of course. Did, didn't they also say that Austin might've had mono as well? Was that, and did that end up being the case? So that ended up being the case after the autopsy. Um, we, nobody, nobody knew it. Um, Mm. 
and since, you know, since he passed away in our home, um, you know, there has to be an autopsy and an investigation. And so we got to do all of, all of those steps as well, um, were difficult, but yes, he did have mono as well. And so it was, uh, it was really unusual and, you know, it's, um, it's just one step and one step in front of the other and, um, trying to get through it as best you can. Right. Now you have a little boy, another little boy as well. What was life like for you? Obviously in the aftermath of the death of your child, you're going to be, you know, I, I can't even imagine how horrible it must be. You must be just kind of dazed and confused and everything else. But what was life like for you and your husband and your other son in the immediate aftermath of losing Austin? Yeah, Ethan was just 15 months old. So he was just a baby, um, you know, and just starting to come into his personality. And and so there really wasn't a lot of time to to curl up in the fetal position and stay on my, you know, in my bed. Right. He's just a baby. So, you know, my husband and I really um, pulled together and said, you know what, the, the worst thing that could happen for, for Ethan is now that he's lost his older brother is to lose his, his family unit, right? Like, right. so divorce is not an option. Right. And causing him more grief and being, being crazy parents that's not an option either. We want him to have a normal, beautiful, amazing childhood. And so as hard as it is, we need to act normal. Yeah. <laughs> and so we just tried our best to do what we normally would have done, you know, had we not lost Austin and, and set our own, you know, fears and our own anxieties to the side as best we could. Right. I, I thought it was so interesting when you were telling in the book how you had just started going to church not too long mm-hmm. before Austin died, and then you gave your life to Christ just a few days later, didn't you, after he died? That that was an incredible thing that happened right at the right period of time, it would seem. Yes. Isn't that, I mean, God is in every detail, right? He's in yeah. every detail. And he had really prompted my husband and I had not been, you know, we both went to church as kids. Our families both all go to church. Uh, we kind of were the only ones who weren't uh, involved in church in any way. And, you know, there we sat with this three-year-old and a 15-month-old, and we thought, gosh, you know, we do want them to believe in God. We do want them to have faith. So we decided that I would shop for churches on Sunday mornings, and Devin would watch the boys. And if we found one we thought we could like, we would go. And so, believe it or not, that Sunday, um, I came home and said, you know, I think I might have found a church I can tolerate. <laughs> I'll never forget the word I use now, because it's, i got to eat my words. And, um, and Devin said, well, all right, next Sunday, we'll go as a family. We'll all go together, and we'll put the boys in Sunday school, and we'll try it. And I said, okay. Well, then Monday, Austin got sick. Wow. And um, he died on that Friday. And then on Sunday, my whole, of course, all of our families are there. And on Sunday, I said, we are going to church. You said we were going to go to church as a family. We are going to church. And you could have knocked our families over with a feather. <laughs> because wow. We were not the churchgoers. But, but we went that Sunday. And you're right. I gave my life to the Lord that Sunday. And really, that stems from like a moment I had in the car, you know, as Austin passed through heaven I just had a moment where I knew that I knew that I knew heaven was real mm-hmm. and it was awesome. Yeah. And so I, I needed to know what, what else was real. And so that's how it began. I, I gave my life to the Lord that Sunday and 
Um, Austin's first nanny gave gave me my first Bible, <laughs> and uh, I just ran with it and jumped in with both feet. And, that's that's such a comfort. That's so good. I I was really struck by something that you said in the book that God understands what it's like to lose a child. That that's mm-hmm. such a weighty statement because boy is that ever the case. How did that work its way into the way you were thinking and grieving in the wake of the loss of Austin? The fact that the Lord could identify with what you were going through, not just understand but identify. Yeah. It- when you lose a child, you feel so lonely, even though you know other people have lost children. Like, you know, you still feel so, so lonely. And so you, the grieving feels like you're isolated and like you're all alone. And I remember I was reading my Bible one day, and I believe it was in the Gospel of Luke, but it's that scene where Jesus is in the garden just before he's arrested. Um, and it's just the perfect time that we're heading into Easter. Um, to talk about this, it was, and he, he's in the garden, and he begins to pray, and he says, Father, remove this cup from me. You know, in other words, like, I don't want to do this. Right. You know, I, I don't remove this cup from me if you can, and, but if you can't, then your will be done, not mine. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Right there in that moment, God knew he had to put his only son on the cross that he was going to be tortured and beaten and rejected and and killed on that day. And it was in that moment when I was reading those scriptures that I went, wow, God knows what this feels like to lose your child. And and he lost his child in, in the most awful way. And how it just knocked me over. It, it, it really was powerful for me to go, he really understands it. Yeah. One other scripture was, um, it's in the Gospel of John, where Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he sees all the people mourning and crying and weeping, and it says that Jesus wept. And so that was another moment where I was like, wow, he really understands our mourning and our weeping. Yeah, yeah. That, and that's, it means so much more than if you just read it and you have nothing going on in your life that makes it profound at that moment in the way that you experienced it. It's, I, I, those kinds of moments are so special when you're reading the Word of God and all of a sudden it was just exactly what you needed to hear at that time. Yes, that, I was amazed that that happened because I did not know, you know that the Bible had that power. I did not know that the Holy Spirit could allow that to happen for you. You know, so for most of my life, I did not know this. Yeah. <laughs> so I, um, that was amazing to me. It and is amazing. I still think it's amazing. Oh <laughs> yeah. my. Well, there's a lot more to talk about. We're going to pause for a very quick break. Kim Erickson is my guest. Her book is called Surviving Sorrow, A Mother's Guide to Living with Loss. We'll be coming back on Janet Meffer today after this. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? 
Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. I was afraid. I was scared. I didn't know what to do. Everybody wanted me to have an abortion. The battle for life has heated up in our country, and standing for life is more difficult than ever. The Ministry of Preborn empowers young women in crisis to choose life. By letting an expectant mother hear her baby's heartbeat and see him on an ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. She did let me hear the heartbeat, and I was like, wow, it's something like living inside of me. It was a beautiful thing to hear. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today and help women with crisis pregnancies choose life? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. We really need your help during these summer months when donations tend to slow down. Please help right now if you can. 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a Preborn banner to click at Janet Mefford. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, I think this is a book that will mean a lot to a lot of people. It is the case that many parents have lost children, whether it was a miscarriage or a child lost in early youth or a child who's lost in adulthood. There's just no kind of grief like it. Surviving Sorrow, A Mother's Guide to Living with Loss is the book. Kim Erickson, the author and my guest. And Kim, you were talking a little bit about some of the verses in scripture that have really helped you understand that God identifies with your sorrow. God knew what it was like to lose his only child as well. And Jesus wept with, even though he knew he would be raising Lazarus from the dead, he still wept. He still felt pain. I'm curious because one of the ways that you express how you were grieving, at least initially over the loss of your little boy, Austin, was you said you didn't cry very much. And I thought that was interesting. You, You had some trouble thinking straight, you said as well. But what were those initial symptoms that you had, if we want to call them that, right in the aftermath of the grief? Because as you said before, and I identified with this as a mom too, you had to keep functioning because you had to keep functioning for your other son, but you weren't crying. How do you reflect back on that when what was really driving that? Why you weren't outwardly grieving the way other women might have? Yeah, I really have this need, like part of my personality is I really have this need to appear that I have it together. And so that's, that's just my, one of my personality uh, traits. Like I like to appear that I can handle things. So that's one. But the other one that's probably more accurate is to say that it felt like if I let some of this out, like it would just overwhelm me and I would never return. Like it felt like I would just drown in it. If I started letting this out, I may never stop crying. I I don't know if I can stop it. And, um, and so that's really how it, that's really why I, I bottled it up because I knew it was too big, um, to handle on my own. 
you know, and, and without yes. God, I don't know how I could have done it. Yeah. What finally helped you? I know that you went to a counselor at one point, but did you get to a moment where you really could cry and really could grieve that way? Yes. And that she, this counselor did tell me to make an appointment for my grief um, because I also operated my day based on my calendar. And so I I had to have like an appointment to grieve. Hmm. And we started out short, you know, just 10 or 15 minutes. And, and when just let out whatever comes, let it out. And then that's all you have to do. You know, so it became, um, it felt more manageable. And it, it wasn't like I said, okay, I'm going to cry at 10 o'clock. You know, yeah. I just allowed myself to be open to my emotions, whatever they may be. And little by little, it, it just, it became, I, I realized that I really could let it out and it would not overwhelm me. Yeah. And I really clung to that scripture you started the show with, which is Psalm 34, 18, that the Lord is near, brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And that's so true, and yeah. He so does. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. I'm curious, did your husband grieve differently than you? Were you pretty much on the same track, or were there some differences in how you dealt with it that, that made your life a little, I don't know, added a little bit of stress to the marriage? Or did you have any of those sorts of moments at all? Because I know that some parents have talked about that, that one parent grieves one way and the other one grieves another way, and it can become an issue. Did, the, did that ever happen to you at all? You know, that definitely can happen, and there were, certainly there were moments. Um, God really blessed Devin and I with similarities in, in our triggers. For example, the photographs. Like, photographs trigger both of us, and so I didn't, we don't have a lot of photographs of often up because it's triggers for both of us. And um, the way that we uh, recognize his birthday or his passing day, you know, we're really on the same page on some of those things, and I think... Those are big places where, you know, couples could have different needs. Um, and what I would say to that is you have to have, you have, to have your own needs um, and your grieving and your loss. You have, to, you have to be able to do that and process that. But you also have to be your spouse, um, your spouse's helpmate. And so just like all things in marriage, it's going to take some compromise going to take talking about it, which is probably the whole, one of the hardest steps for, for Devin and I is talking about it because it's when I'm having a good day, he doesn't want to bring me down. And if he's having a good day, I don't want to bring him down. And then you end up not ever talking about it. Right. <laughs> so it can be tough, right. but communicating right. is, is key. Well, sure. What about dealing with other people? I, I think that's tough maybe for others who care about you and love you, who haven't walked through it thinking, I don't know what to say. I don't want to say anything inappropriate and I don't want to bring up Austin's name if that will bring them more pain. How do you see it as the mom who lost your son in advising people how to deal with a mom who's in your position? Yeah, I've, I've kind of landed on three. My, th- these are three of my favorites is um, one, just show up. And, and you really don't even have to say anything. You don't have to say anything. And just showing up and, you know, saying, hey, let's, let's go grab lunch or showing up and doing her laundry, getting your groceries, you know, just, just showing up next to her says everything you need to say. And then number two is definitely no comparing, okay? So I know that losing your grandmother was hard you know, last year, but right. it's not the same as losing a child. And 
grieving parents all over the world will tell you how many times we have heard people compare the loss of a child to the loss of a pet. And let me tell you, oh, I love my pet. Yes. But please don't do that. No. <laughs> so that's a definite no-no. No. Uh, so comparing, you know, any of your losses, even as grieving parents one to another, we try not to do that because everybody's loss is different. And then number three would be um, no complaining. You know, like coming over or visiting or during lunch, you're complaining about, you know, your kids fighting, <laughs> bickering. Yeah. I'm so sick of their bickering. In my head, I'm going, wow, I would really cut off my right arm to hear my boys bicker. You know, <laughs> like yep. that. I would love to hear that. So um, comparisons and complaining are two no-no's. I think that's really good wisdom. It really is. I, I yeah, that those kinds of things that you're talking about, people who compare, that that drives me crazy because it, w- what's really thoughtful is to put the grieving person front and center and let them be front and center. I mean, that's just polite and and that's what really shows love. I, I'm curious too. You, this chapter is tough, but you talk about what to do with stuff. And that's, that really is a hard situation because you want to remember everything you can, I'm sure, about Austin. But at the same time, what do you part with? How did you handle that? That is the tug of war. You know, when, when you, the tug of war of grief, like holding on to memories versus, you know, moving into hope that life is going to go on and it's going to be you know, it's going to be okay again someday. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, the getting rid of the stuff is another huge um, communication issue. You know, you've got to um, communicate with your spouse and anyone else um, who's in your family. And what we did is we made these different bins, you know, like those big um, storage bins from Walmart or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you get a bin. And things that any of us wanted to keep of Austin's, we could put in that one. We labeled that one Austin's Keep. And then there was one um, for to give to Ethan, either someday or later, you know. And so we put things into that bin that we wanted to keep for Ethan um, coming up behind him. And then there was a box for giveaway. I guess this was, it was his, but it doesn't really have a sentimental value and it's not really anything special we want to hold on to for Ethan or ourselves. And so as you, you know, encounter things, we could put them in these three bins in in this room. And so just slowly we kind of would come across things and go, you know what? I could really give this away. Some other little boy could use this and that would be just fine. So it would go in the bin, you know? (laughs) Wow. Wow. And, and yeah, there's so many things that you have to go through, so many steps you have to take. Kim, I'm curious, as it's been, you know, a number of years now since you lost Austin, how are you doing now? Oh, that's, thank you for that. That's sweet. It, you know, it was just my birthday yesterday. Oh, happy birthday. <laughs> and thank you. And, you know, there are days that are just hard. And, you know, even my birthday is just one of those hard days. Mm-hmm. Um. And so it's off and on is what I would say how we're doing. You know, most of the time, um, my day is, is filled with joy and gladness and gratefulness and worshiping God and praising Him. And so most of the time is good. And you will get there. You know, if those people listening early in their loss right now, it seems like it's going to swallow you whole. And it feels like that. But you will just one day at a time, one step at a time, eventually your steps get lighter mm-hmm. as you go. That's and good. so, but 
you also still have really heavy days and, mm-hmm. and that's okay too. Yeah. You know, there are some days when this still knocks me down. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, a really, really helpful book, Surviving Sorrow, A Mother's Guide to Living with Loss by Kim Erickson. Kim, God bless you. I'll be praying for you and your family. I know that that's a very, very difficult loss, but thank you for sharing your thoughts and your wisdom and your hope in the Lord. Thank you for joining us. Yes, thank Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you for joining us on Janet Meffer today. We'll see you next time. This hour has been brought to you by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD.